0: It seems like a bitter irony that at the point that the Hong Kong film scene was struggling to
1: survive your career really seems to take off both critically and commercially and by making very Hong Kong centric films what do you think it was about your films that appealed to audiences at home internationally and, and given the BAFTA talk to this evening in Britain? So, just, uh, uh, very, very um, so I think it's very connected to the fact that um, after, in 1996 when we founded Milky Way with the uh, Waikar fight, when we first um, talked about what we were going to do we, um, we made it One of the key elements that it would be, we would make original films and we wouldn't be dependent on the market and we didn't want to follow where the box office uh, success was going to take us, we didn't want the audience to be the ones that dictated where we went, we wanted to lead the audience, we wanted them to follow us rather than the other way around. Um, very often, if you let the audience lead you, all they want is entertainment, so all you produce is entertainment for them, um, but we wanted it to be the, uh, the other way around, so we deliberately decided to um, be Hong Kong-centric and look at Hong Kong life and Hong Kong culture and Hong Kong history and think of stories from that were uh, born from that and my is a very talented writer and we in effect we are making we're not making commercial films and because they're not commercial we're not boxed in and we're not um restricted by uh, outside influences and we're quite free so our boxes are a lot bigger and wider to to do what we want and to make the kind of films that we want we or to
2: Welcome to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. We are a little late in getting this episode out. Tons of stuff going on behind the scenes, but we're here, Brad. We made it, right? We, we, weekend.
0: we made it. We made it. My kid got off to kindergarten and he made it. He made it, dude. That's so, exciting yeah. times, man. I have a kindergartner now, which is insane.
2: I know. So between uh, Brad's kids starting school, because in, in Indiana, you, you guys are starting a little bit earlier. We don't start till... Um, after the holidays out here on the East coast, uh, my wife had some, uh, back surgery cor- corpectomy, I think is what it's called. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It basically, she's a zombie now cause or RoboCop, cause they, they took vertebrae out, put metal in. And so. And she I, wears
0: a cone of shame right now. Yeah.
2: She wears a cone of shame right now. She's, she's not living that down as <laughs> soon as she's walking around with that neck brace and everybody's been sending like the office space picture, uh, with, with that cone
0: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: But I mean, I was texting her images of uh dogs and cones. I, I know that's cruel, but you gotta understand a relationship. And yeah. That that's just she would do she would do it to you. Oh yeah, she would be much more original about it too. Uh <laughs> so Brad, uh my pick this week, we're kind of using a weird rule to talk about a movie on a show that is supposed to be focused on movies that bombed. So The way it works is you and I are always trying to find a way to talk about Asian cinema because we love Asian cinema. True. And we don't get a lot of uh, movies um, from Asia released in the U.S. on a wide scale. A couple do come through if they're backed by a major studio over here or have some kind of international release or draw. But a lot of times the ones that we want to talk about either never got released uh, or if they got a release, they released in four theaters. But we we kind of found a way that if you were to look at some of the movies we talked about on a critical scale, they probably wouldn't pass the mustard. I mean, they were all pretty successful so far. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so we're using this rule that, hey, it may have only got released in a theater or two. And so for that, we can grow and maybe, uh, I don't know, ranked 52nd, yeah. <laughs> something yeah. like that. So therefore, it meets the qualifications that we get to talk about it, right?
0: And plus, it's our show. It's the Hong Kong Clause. So we can do whatever we want.
2: That's pretty much uh, Hong Kong films are always going to fall under that Hong Kong Clause, whereas the minute we get an itching to talk about it. And I'm super excited to talk about this film because we're going to spend some time on the director. Uh, Now, the reason why I pushed for this one specifically, we're going to talk about 2004's Throwdown is not too long ago, it was released as part of the Criterion Collection on Blu-ray and DVD. And uh, they just got done doing a sale, right? So Barnes & Noble's does their 50% off sale. Amazon starts matching them. And in the circle that we run, everybody starts talking about, hey, what, what are you buying You know, this week? Uh, and we end up spending a lot of money in those 30 days, right?
0: Yeah, yes, it's it's one of those months where it's like, okay, I've, I've bought a lot of stuff. Now I need to calm down for a little bit and uh, make sure that my wife doesn't be like, man, you should sure not buy a lot of stuff.
2: So yeah, I'm, I'm always in time all, you, out. You, you always say, this.
0: well, you know, it was uh half off. So is, does that help? <laughs> Never does. Yeah. Not when you're nope.
2: buying like 18 of them. Yeah. Uh, so but the problem is everybody when I'm looking at their list, nobody Was like, hey, I'm I'm buying Throwdown from 2004, and that really kind of shocked me. Like, I'm I'm really surprised. A lot of people did not gravitate to this film because right now, if you love Asian cinema, specifically Hong Kong cinema, I I feel like it's the golden age between Eureka, 88 Films, Criterion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, Warner Brothers has the whole Golden Harvest catalog, I think, and they're getting ready uh, to release a bunch of stuff. But if if you love Hong Kong film, like this is the year for you. And I feel like everybody is overlooking Throwdown from 2004. I mean, did, did you get that same kind of impression too? I didn't see this on anybody's list that w- was buying stuff this no, month.
0: No, and you know we have people who will show us what they bought. And you, know, you see 8, 12, 15, 16 movies. Yes. And, and Throwdown was not a part of those. Um, I had known that we were doing this for a while. So I had picked it up a little bit ago. Um, so I didn't pick it up for half off, but I had already uh, purchased it um, a few weeks ago.
2: Okay. Yeah. I, I pre-ordered this thing the minute they announced it. I made sure to buy it. I I've had uh, this on DVD for a while,
0: but this was, <clears> was we f- said what we're doing.
2: Yeah. Throwdown, 2004. Okay. okay. all right, Sorry. But I to make sure you've never seen this before, right?
0: I had not. I had not. Um, Johnny toe is a director that I do like. Um, I have seen quite a bit of his stuff. um, But Throwdown was, I think it's, do we want to go ahead and say it? Can I just go go ahead and say the connection? Uh, It's somewhat dedicated to Akira Kurosawa. Yes. And I don't know if that's scared me off of it a bit, uh, because once you start throwing around Kurosawa, you're elevating the prestige of your picture. um, And my hypeness for it is um, pretty high. So... Yeah, I was a little bit afraid that if I watched this knowing the Kurosawa connection that I would be disappointed. So I I just kind of waited for the right moment. And of course, we talked about it and it's like, no, let's do Throwdown for the show. And that was the right time, obviously.
2: Okay, so here's the question I have. Uh, I had seen this a long time ago when it it was released in DVD. So probably around 2005, 2006 is, is when I discovered it. I understood the dedication to Akira Kurosawa, but I didn't understand what Johnny Toe was actually creating with this film in terms of really a homage to Akira Kurosawa's first film from 1943 called uh, Sanchiro Sugata. Uh, Did you happen to watch that one or part two of that when you uh, started researching or watching Throwdown? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, anytime I can, I have an excuse to watch a Kurosawa film. I had seen his first film. It's probably been fifteen years or so. I got the, I think Eclipse has that, like first four, um, collection of Kurosawa's, and I have that, and I watched obviously his first four films, um, a while ago, and uh, yeah, man, um, Kurosawa's on my Mount Rushmore. Okay, and uh, is arguably the greatest director of all time. Uh,
2: yeah. Ooh, that's that's a tough proclamation. I would I would agree with you. He's on the Mount Rushmore. Is he the greatest of all time? I think the case can be made. I had never seen his first few films until this week, so we're going to share our thoughts on that um, once we talk about Throwdown. But let's let's just get into that. I'm really curious about your response to this one. Because I think it's a very unique film, and I I don't know where you're going to land. I'll I'll be honest with you. This is one, as I'm watching it, like halfway through, I'm like, either Brad's going to hate this thing or he's going to fall in love with it. I don't really think there's going to be an in-between on this one. But let's talk about when it was released. Do you have some information on that?
0: Yeah, so released July 8th, 2004. And again, that's uh, it's Hong Kong release. Um, Domestically, it makes zero dollars uh internationally it makes about a, a million dollars. Um and the Rotten Tomatoes is a little bit uh again, you kind of mentioned the love hate of this. So uh critically it's at a 92 because I think this is a critical film. Yes. Uh, critics will love this movie. Uh audience is much slower at 70%. Um like a twenty two percent difference is pretty high um between the the audience and in critics. And is I get that. that
2: that kind of surprised me. I actually thought from an audience perspective, it would be a little bit lower. I I do think this is one of those critical darling independent films from a, from a United States or like Western take on it. This is the movie you would see in the art house and everybody would fall in love with it. Yep. yep. Yeah. From, from that type of um, audience, not, not the general audience. I I still don't think anybody uh, even, I don't know, regular film hobbyists, know enough about Johnny Toe. I mean, when you when you talk about Hong Kong cinema, it's always John Woo, maybe Ringo Lam, et cetera. Johnny Toe, uh-huh. I don't think his name comes up enough.
0: You're probably naming 20 directors before you get to Johnny Toe?
2: Yeah. And Which is unfortunate. We'll talk about whether or not that's accurate or not, but okay. So it makes zero money over here. Uh, it's got a pretty good critical response. I'm yep. assuming that uh, I mean, there, there's not going to be a lot of reviews to pull from no,
0: no, no, nothing really. Um, but I will say, uh, just as a curiosity, I looked down what came out July of 2004. Okay. because um, I was um, in college then and had seen almost all these movies. So here we go. We have before Sunset, okay, which is a big movie. King Arthur, which I saw the first day. Uh, yep. Uh, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy um which obviously everyone saw that um the metallica some kind of monster documentary comes out um we also have a Cinderella story i robot which comes out that much which is goes on to gross 348 million dollars
2: when will which, smith had a career yeah
0: yeah yep yeah. uh the born supremacy makes 311 million dollars uh action cinema in the united states changes forever <laughs> um cat goes on to make 82 million dollars oh my goodness uh a film that we talked on blind fury zatoichi um comes out that month um yes. 31 million dollars and big return on that
2: a side note our our good friends over at night of the living podcast they were doing an entire month dedicated to rugger and, and they happen to talk about Blind Fury as well. Go and listen to that episode. It's so much fun. It's a lot of fun.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Um, then we also round out the month with Harold and Kumar, Go to White Castle, the Manchurian Candidate remake, Thunderbirds, and The Village. The Village made $257 million.
2: <sighs> Boy, that,
0: people are waiting for that
2: twist. I guess. So let's... Let, let's just get into it. We'll talk about the people yeah. behind the screen or behind the camera in front of the camera. Let's talk about Johnny toe. I'm just going to throw it out there. What's your take on Johnny toe?
0: I really enjoyed Johnny toe. I think his closest, and, and you'll probably disagree with me and, and that's okay. I think his closest sort of American filmmaker comparison would be like Nicholas Whiting Refn.
2: <sighs> yeah, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't think so like it's very visual uh very uh a lot of the scenes will breathe and uh the action kind of happens and it's not uh i feel like the pacing of their films is also pretty parallel um i was just trying to think of like who's closest comparison was and that was who I came up with. And apparently you don't agree with that.
2: No, no, no. I'll say, I'll say this. Could you make an argument that there are aspects of that director within Johnny toes work? Absolutely. Okay. I just don't know if you could find a one-to-one comparison to Johnny toe. I don't think you can find a one-to-one comparison to most directors, but a lot of times you can kind of find a director who goes, Hey, they're, they're in that wheelhouse. I mean, if you, you could talk Argento De Palma, and even Hitchcock and say that those three directors share a lot of similarities, right? Uh, probably more similarities and differences with, with Johnny toe. I can't think of a director that comes close to what he does. If you look at his filmography. Okay. And, and I'll say, I'll, and here's why 73 directing credits, right? So Johnny toe has worked in just about every genre of film out there. If you look at all of his films, there's not a genre he hasn't touched outside of maybe Western, but in terms of action, comedy, horror, um, comedy. I mean, every, I don't know, subsection, AV genre out there, he has touched. He works a lot with um, Louis Koo, Andy Lau, Sammy Chang. As a matter of fact, Andy Lau, Sammy Chang have done a ton of movies with him. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, In fact, you'll see a lot of the same screenwriters and cinematographers show up in his movies and he created the Milky Way Production Company with his frequent collaborator, Y Cafe. Uh, and and here's just some awards, okay? He's won a ton of awards, but if you're looking for something that's sort of equivalent to what we have from an Academy Award, you might have to look at the Hong Kong Film Awards, right? So for Best Director, he's won it three times for The Mission in 2000, PTU in 2004, and Election in 2006, Um, and then for the Hong Kong Film Awards for Best Film, he won it for Running on Karma in 2004 and Election in 2006.
0: Do you think Election is his best film?
2: No. I don't think either. (laughs) I think it's an amazing film.
0: Yes, yep.
2: But my, I don't know what his best film is. I can tell you what my favorite film of his is. And it has a sentimental value to it. So we we just got done talking about my wife, Tabitha. So when, when we got married, we were trying to decide on where we were going to honeymoon. So we go to the bookstore and we're looking at all like these places. And we finally land on San Francisco because we're like, Hey, San Francisco is a city that it's almost like eight or nine countries within the city. So you, you know, you, you walk off, um, the, the curb from Chinatown, you're right in little Italy, you go to Japantown, you go all this. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing city. And we're like, Hey, let's, let's do our honeymoon there. Not planning, uh, like what's going on in San Francisco. It's just, that's the city we want to go to. So the minute that we land um, and we're there like three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And, and mind you, we were up very late from the reception the night before we check into the hotel room. We're in the financial district right next to Chinatown. We're a block away from Chinatown. And uh, we, we check in tab is like, I'm going to crash. So I'm like, okay, well I I'm up and I'm looking around what things to do in San Francisco and no shit. Right that week is the San Francisco um, Hong Kong Asian Film Festival. <laughs> I'm like, so we know what you're doing. I'm yep. like, uh, so the next morning I'm telling that I'm like, look, this was not planned. But look at what's going on here. So whatever we're doing in the afternoon, we have to hit this thing in the evening. So that was what we did. We we were going around San Francisco, outside of San Francisco, uh, doing all these tours, Napa Wine Valley, et cetera but always in the evening, we would go to the Hong Kong Asian uh, International Film Festival in San Francisco. In the very first night there, I got to see uh, 1999's The Mission. Have you ever seen The Mission? I have seen The Mission, yes. The Mission is probably my favorite Johnny Toe film. A, because I discovered it on my my honeymoon. Now, I had seen Johnny Toe films leading up to that, but I really hadn't. I don't know, just recognized a directorial style until I watched the mission and you, you hear that theme song and you're just humming it for like the week. But that movie was so impressive in terms of there, there's a sequence and it just blew me away. But you have these four or five bodyguards or hitman assassins that are trying to basically play bodyguard to, and I'm not going to spoil the film because there, there is sort of a twist at the end.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but, but they're standing in the hallway of this corporation and they're doing their bodyguard duties, and one of them ends up dropping this piece of crumpled paper, right? And they end up having this little foot soccer moment with this piece of paper right in the middle of this uh, film, and it is a way for these four or five, you know, people that come from different backgrounds. One's an assassin, one's a bodyguard, one, one, you know, is is works for the mob, etc. But you see this connection of characters come through, and you see the camaraderie built out of this couple of minute sequence of them playing foot soccer with this piece of rolled up uh, paper in the hallway. And you're like, what is going on? You, you always hear about like the best way to develop characters um, and tell about your characters is like, show them, right? Show them mm-hmm. doing stuff. Yeah. And there's not a line of dialogue that happens within this like three or four minute sequence, but you see them all coming together and having just a little bit of fun on the job kicking this ball of paper around. And I'm like, I'm in love with this director. Who's this director?
0: But yeah, and, and and moments like that where a movie just kind of has a characterization moment where guys are just messing around does a lot more than us talking about how whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're, you're right. And, and I think that's what you get with a lot of Hong Kong films is you have moments where it doesn't really substantially make the movie better, but all of a sudden like the characters mean more, um, because they just have these moments where things like that, playing soccer with a uh, wadded up piece of paper, it, 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 just kind of means more.
2: Yeah. I, I think in a Johnny Tone film, absolutely. I think he's, mm-hmm. he's kind of known for that at a certain time period when you kind of get in the late nineties, going to two thousands, he's sort of finding himself as a screenwriter and a director, and he just lets things naturally happen and he breaks up the pace with these little characterization beats that really get you closer to the character without having somebody tell you something, right? You're, you're seeing them develop. So for everybody listening, if, if you, if you aren't familiar with Johnny toe, I've written down a ton of films that I think you need to check out.
0: Well, let me tell you my favorite.
2: Okay, go ahead.
0: Mad Detective.
2: Oh, see that. Yeah, that, that one's fantastic. Okay. That's from 2007. I love that one. Yep. You have any others yes. that just, I know, uh, is it arrow is going to be releasing running, um, running out of time one and two on Blu-ray yes. in the next month or two. The first one's really good. The second one's okay, but the first one's fantastic.
0: Okay. But so do you have, have any other out favorites? Of time. Uh, yeah, oh, you already said the mission. I like the mission as well. Um, vengeance is another good one. Oh
2: yeah. That's so good. That was from Uh,
0: 2009. Then we get election one and two, obviously.
2: Um, yeah, he was supposed to make election three, three, 10 years after. And he came out and said around 2015, 2016, he's like, I'm not doing it. If he were to make an election three, he would not be let back into China because of what he would have to say as well as how triads would work at that time period. If he, if he were trying to be, you know, true to the, to the origin of where, you know, those characters would be, which I thought was pretty interesting.
0: One more would be like full-time killer maybe.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. That's good. All right. So you can go all the way back to 1980. The enigmatic case was his first, I think, directorial film. Now Johnny Toe was working in television before he transitioned into film. An early one. So here are the ones that I had seen before the mission but hadn't, hadn't really went, hey, I, I really like this director. So The Big Heat in 1988. I, I bought that Laserdisc. Um, it, it's a fun action film. You, you should watch that one. Okay. Then you've got The Heroic Trio 93 with Michelle Yeoh, Anita Mui, and Maggie Chung. Another fun film, right? Uh, well, it's I got think,
0: Michelle Yeoh in it, so you have to bring it up.
2: Yeah, and the sequel is The Executioners, but I think he produced it. He didn't direct it. You get uh, The Mad Monk in 1993 with Stephen Chow, which is another great film. I, I don't. I don't think you start to see Johnny Toe in that. There's elements of it, but we're, it's not like the 2000-ish uh, Johnny Toe. Lifeline in 97 is actually a really good film. Think of it as a Hong Kong version of Backdraft. So highly recommend that one. Okay, yes. Okay, so Mission is 1999. This is where my love of, of Johnny Toe just, just blossoms, okay? You get Running Out of Time in 1999 as well. That's coming out on Blu-ray from Arrow. Pick it up. One hundred percent. Okay, you get Love on a Diet from two thousand one. So this is an example of a collaboration, and you'll see this a lot of times when he's working with Andy Lau and Sammy Chang. It's a really, really good romantic comedy. PTU in two thousand three. That is another one, that one. Yep. you've got to watch. I hope I hope everybody listening is taking notes. Um, This one, one you send the
0: bill to Troy. Send we'll the bill to it. me.
2: Yep. <laughs> Uh, this one won an award for best film when it came out, but Running on Karma from two thousand three, I think that had Andy Lau in it too. That's that's a really good film. Now you get into Breaking News in two thousand four. This is the first one I kind of remember him. I up until this point, I don't, and I I don't know the actual accuracy of this, but. Breaking news was the first one that I felt like people started to talk about him at an international level. I'm sure that was happening before then, but for whatever reason in my head around 2004 breaking news, I had more people talking about Johnny toe in my circle because, you know, this film was, was making its rounds.
0: If I remember correctly, breaking news has some pretty cool shootouts in it. Is it's fantastic. Per- yeah. Okay.
2: It, it's got a sequence, Look, just watch Breaking News. (laughs) And then in that same year, you've got Throwdown, which we're going to talk about. You've got Election, 2005, Election 2, in 2006. Sort of the spiritual sequel to the mission is called Exiled in 2006. Um, Watch that one. I think you've already talked about Mad Detective. If you want him to kind of, uh, if you want to see him do some French New Wave type film, watch Sparrow in 2008. Uh, you've already said vengeance. Oh, a recent one from 2012. And by recent, I mean, 10 years drug war is fantastic.
0: Oh, drug war is fantastic. Oh my gosh. That one has
2: such a gut punch. There there are like three or four gut punches in that film. It is an absolutely wonderful visceral. I I know how much you like heat Brad, Mm -hmm. the film to me, the Hong Kong equivalent of heat is drug war. It's, it's that good. Okay. Um, three from 2016. It It's B tier Johnny toe, but it's still really good. I love the premise of it. It's got a really tense middle. I think the back end of it, when you get to sort of the final conflict, it's okay. But man, the, the middle of that film, it is tense. It's so good. And that's from 2016. He's still making films. I think the last one that was released, um, he had done a short film first. Uh, and I can't remember the title of the movie, but it, they were, you know, going to six, seven different Hong Kong directors and saying, Hey, let's, let's do these short vignettes about Hong Kong. And, um, but he's, he's got stuff in production, et cetera, from Milky Way. Okay. But if, if you had not ever seen a Johnny toe film, those were like the 10 or 11 I would check out out of the 73 out of the gate, then go back and watch all 73 because they're fantastic. I love Johnny. If it, I know everybody talks about John Woo Ringo Lam, and I'm, I'm going to go out there and say it right now if we're talking about Hong Kong directors, uh, even the Sam hungs and Jackie chans and everything in, in their art in their heyday, right? The eighties, nineties, I still would take Johnny toe over all of them. I know it's oh, wow. a bold statement, but that's okay. how much I love Johnny toe.
0: Okay. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to go that far. I, I
2: would. I mean, I, I, this is a director I don't think enough people talk about, and I know everybody loves her John Woo's and don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from anything the other directors had yeah, giving done, props
0: to one director. It doesn't mean that you're bashing another one.
2: I'm I'm just saying, if you were to ask me like, Hey, if, if you look at Johnny toes filmography and everything that he does and what makes a Johnny toe film, a Johnny toe film, especially from like late nineties on, I would take that all day long over some of the other directors that have come out. And when you talk about Mount Rushmore of uh, Asian directors, I mean, Akira Kurosawa was on there. I'd put Johnny toe's face on there too
0: okay I definitely think that when you are familiar with Johnny toe as a director when you see a film you're like oh that's a Johnny toe film he definitely has his own style um and it's very particular and it's hard to replicate um so I, I, when I was I, when I was comparing him to, to Nicholas winding Reffin it wasn't that I was trying to say like no he's just like this person but I think both those directors, they have a style and when you see it, it, it it stands out and it definitely, um, they have their own personality when it comes to being a director. Yeah, absolutely. And
2: like I said, I, I think the case can be made that you can see elements of Nicholas within Johnny toe. But I, I think you'd go out on a limb and say, well, there's a little bit of QT in Johnny toe. Um, there's a little bit of Scorsese. I mean, Johnny Toe, I feel like, uh, is a film connoisseur just as much as he's a filmmaker. So even if you see something like Sparrow from 2006, you really think that at that time period, he just went back, watched a bunch of French New Wave films, and was like, you know what, I kind of want to make my own version of that. And I I feel like that's what he does. I love the fact that he's very open about – hey, when I make a movie, I'm not trying to chase the audience's opinion. He wants to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's weird, too, because if you think about Milky Way Production Company, when Hong Kong was on the decline for box office, Milky Way was seeing more and more success um, with their releases, especially in the late 90s going into 2000. And he was getting a lot more international recognition. And that's when he kind of came together and said, hey, I want to make my own production company, and I want to make my the movies that he was interested in making. He wasn't interested in chasing down, hey, what is popular in the international market, what's popular in the Hong Kong market. He said, I, I have these stories and I want to tell them. And I think if you look at 2000 and Beyond, you can see that uh, coming to fruition in terms of success because the Hong Kong film industry is not having a lot of success to those time periods, but Milky Way production was because they were making films and and telling stories that they wanted to do versus chasing the market.
0: Yeah, and, God, I mean, like we were saying, what I think Milky Way came around in 96. Yeah. Johnny Toe has put out, I mean, mean, what, he put out 40 movies since 96? Yeah, I mean, we're
2: not even talking the stuff that he produced and wrote. I mean, this is just the director. This is him in the director chair, right? Yeah. So, and and it's one of those things where I see the Milky Way logo come up. I'm always excited because I know, you know, that company is chasing something much different than what most other film companies are doing.
0: You watch the Criterion Collection of this movie, right? Yes. Okay. I love it because it's like 10 minutes of, of title cards of all the production companies that's that's hong kong films anymore i know i I love it i love it they
2: they have to you know spread the risk amongst a ton of different companies um but when it hits it's 10 different companies are sharing in the province too right yep yep a little bit of of i don't know more background of the people who participated in this film you've it's written by um yao nai hui oi Kin Yi, and yip ting ching the cinematography is done by two people, um, Cheng Siok Kung and Tohong Hong Mo. It's edited, I thought this was interesting. It's edited by David Richardson. And David Richardson, a couple of films uh, that I would also recommend you check out is Operation Mekong from 2016. That is a fantastic action film. Also, Kill Zone 2 from 2015. Uh it's all it's known as SPL. Uh, Kill Zone 2. So the SPL franchise, um, the first one was with Donnie Yen and Sammo Hung. It was known mm-hmm. as Kill Zone in the West. Then um, Kill Zone 2 or SPL Kill Zone 2. It has Wu Jing and Tony Ja. And then you've also got Kill Zone 3 or SPL 3 or it was just called Paradox. Uh, that one is fantastic. So The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema actually reviewed that I think a year or two ago. Uh-huh. You know, go listen to that review. But it was one I was pushing... On Sammy, big time, and he finally pulled the trigger on it, and he fell in love with it. So it's fantastic. But here's the other thing: David Richardson is so good with his directors that his directors are like, "Hey, come work on multiple movies with me." Here's a director that apparently absolutely fell in love with him, Uwe Boll. Uh, So David Richardson edited House of the Dead in 2003 and Blood Rain in
0: 2005. Yeah. Hey, have you seen House of the Dead?
2: Have you seen House of the Dead? I have. I my. the funniest thing I remember about house of the dead is when it got released, obviously a big bomb, but at some point everybody was making fun of it. So they re-released it with cover art or something saying it was an intentional comedy of zombie films. Yeah. That was, that was yeah. marketing trying to save the deal,
0: but Hey, look, walk, walk it
2: back. Yeah. David Richardson must be amazing to take Uwe bowl footage and make a com just,
0: yeah, just being able to make uh, something out of that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, now this is important action coordinator, um, Bonyun. So he has 92 acting credits, he's an actor and stuntman stunt coordinator. Okay, he's about 76 stuntman stunt coordinator uh, credits. He's worked with Donnie Yen as a martial arts director on Kung Fu Jungle in 2015, but he's also worked with some western art, uh, western talent. So in his filmography, he's worked with, um, and our good friend Jose is going to love this. In 1998, he was the stunt coordinator for Jean Claude Van Damme's knockoff. Nice. So there's your action coordinator. Let's let's talk about the people in front of the camera. I don't. Are you familiar with most of the cast? Um, or uh,
0: not really? No. To be perfectly honest with you.
2: Okay. So just for everybody playing along, and seeing the film, um, we got Louis Koo. As um, Bo, he's the former judo expert who's turned into a karaoke manager and band leader. All right. He's been in and drunk and drunkards and drunk. Yes. And and gambler. Okay. So he's got some flaws. Again, go check out 2017's Paradox. He's in that. He was in all, Election. He was in Election. Go also watch Call of Heroes from 2016. It's another great oh, film. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You bought that for me. I did. I, I think yeah. I was that a birthday present.
0: 18? It was. It was. Yeah. Okay.
2: Did you like it? Okay.
0: Yes. Yes. No. Yeah. Very good. Very okay. good.
2: Okay. You've got Aaron Kwok as a uh, Tony. He's, he's the competitive young fighter that comes in who wants to, to challenge Bo all the time. So uh, a movie that I forgot he was in and I just purchased it on Blu-ray from Hong Kong is 1992's the shootout. It's kind of a crazy film. It's a lot of fun. It was produced by Jackie Chan, so there's our Jackie Chan connection for the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if people follow Hong Kong, he was cinema, in a movie
0: also in 1992, I believe it's called Game Boy Kids. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there yeah. you go. Uh,
2: you, I did you ever see the Storm Riders, or the Storm Warriors? Those the films? Storm Warriors, yep, yep. Okay, so Aaron Kwok's in there. Okay, he was the lead. You got um, Cherry Ying as Mona, so she's the girl from Taiwan who sort of has this big dream to be a singer, uh, but in her current career is forced nearly into prostitution by her evil manager. Another uh, Jackie Chan connection: she was in 2006's Robbie Hood. It's a fun film; I definitely would check it out. Um, but another Johnny Toe film: Full Time Killer. One with the baby, yeah, it is. It's fun. It's good. Yeah. Uh, but she's in Full Time Killer from 2001. Now here's your heavy hitter, okay? Tony Long Cafe. All of these are heavy hitters, but Tony Long, big time, right? So he's Bo's longtime rival who wants to finish his match with Bo um, because Bo never showed up, right? But you know Tony Long. Now we we talked about this film in our first life as podcasters, uh, Bodyguards and Assassins, the Donnie oh, Yen films from 2009. Okay? Yep. He's also been in films with Jackie Chan, like the myth. Um, here are the two that I would recommend if you haven't seen Tony Lung in. Definitely check out Double Vision from 2002. He stars alongside that with David Morse. So think of Double Vision as like a Hong Kong supernatural serial killer movie. It's really good. And definitely check him out in 1994's Ashes of Time, directed by Wong Kar Wai. That's okay. fantastic.
0: I would say Bruce Lee, my brother, is actually not bad either. Yeah,
2: it's it's good. It's good. Yep. Definitely like that one. Uh Eddie Chung Su as Boss Savage. He showed up on the show before. Now we didn't talk about him, but he was in 2015's Black Hat as a small part. Oh. Okay. We've got uh Lo Hui Peng as Chang. He's Bo's master. Okay. We got Calvin Choi as Jing. So he is Chang's son, who has some mental health issues. So he's the one that when when the movie starts, he's he's in the field. Passing out the flyers. Yep, passing out the flyers. Okay. So that's all the people in front of the camera, behind the camera. Um, I am so so curious about your take on this film, Brad, because most of the time, I can I can watch something and go, Hey, I think Brad's gonna you know like this one. Or he's gonna have some big issues. I'm really curious where you landed on this one. So what do you, what do you think about Throwdown?
0: Yeah, so Throwdown I didn't expect it to be a little bit more like avant-garde and like disorienting a little bit and like so initially I didn't I don't know if like this movie screams like A Kurosawa, right? Because we we always think of Kurosawa as like the samurai guy, but that's not necessarily true. Go back to some of his post-World War II stuff. He's actually very cynical on things. Kurosawa has always been very complex. Um, and I think this film has a lot of complexity to it. So I would connect those dots and say, yeah, I see the complexity part. I see the cynical part. I see um, a lot of your your strong characters. Um I'm not sure if I love the movie as much as I love the craftsmanship around it. Um, there are moments in this movie. Uh, there's a, like a karaoke fight scene um, that I think is one of the best uh, cinematic moments I've seen in a long time. Um, there's also another one uh, where she is running well, they're running away. She stole the money they're running down this street. It's a beautiful shot. There is moments in this movie that are almost breathtaking in their complexity and their beauty. Um, but I, I I'm very conflicted about this movie and I wish I had a better ar- way to articulate it. I don't know how I feel about this movie because I feel it's so disorienting at times and it doesn't, flow like a typical movie does. Um, I think that's the point. And again, there are moments that I love, but as a whole, it's like, do I love this movie? I don't know if I do. I I like it, but I think I appreciate the craftsmanship that went into making this movie because I don't know if there's, if there is many people who could, who could do this movie. Right. Um, One of the things we hear about, uh, say there will be blood is when other contemporary filmmakers saw that movie, they were like, can't do that. We couldn't do that. <laughs> and and if we want to compete, we have to step our game up. And then, uh, people like Quentin Tarantino put out Inglorious glorious bastards, which is arguably his best movie. And so you think about that and you think about, could another director make this movie? And I'm not sure that anyone could, um, but I was hoping that this conversation, you could help me develop some of my thoughts because again, it's not a typical like film in the way of its storytelling. And it's like, I'm not sure if it's a love story, uh, but obviously these three characters do care for each other. And at the, at the end, there's some beautiful moments. Um, The part where they get the balloon out of the tree, like it's a small moment. It's like, kind of like you're, your moment where the guys are just kicking the the wadded up. Yeah. Uh, but there's this moment where they, they come together and get this balloon out of this tree. And that does more character development than like anything else in the whole movie. Um, it's just kind of those simple things that you appreciate in films like this. But again, I watched this twice because the first time I was so conflicted and then the second time, it, it felt a little bit better. So I, I wonder if this is one of those movies that just grows on you as you watch it um, because it it is kind of complex and it is dense. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that you will kind of light my way as we discuss this movie. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I will tell you my
2: experience with the film. So 2004, when it comes out, I know about it. And the first time I'm getting ready to watch it, knowing that, hey, I like this Johnny Toe guy, uh, I was I was kind of I, I don't I don't want to say when you when you see the trailer, you're like, oh man, this is gonna be a really interesting kind of action film. It's got a little comedy in it to it, etc. And so I think my first view of it was very similar to yours, where I didn't I didn't know what to think. Like you you come across these scenes and you go, Oh my goodness, that's why you watch films. Mm -hmm. Um, you've, you've mentioned it already there. The the standout sequences, um, Bo chasing Mona after they're running out of the gambling den, that whole thing of she's running money is kind of just flying from her hands and, uh, Bo's chasing her. He's smiling and you get the standoff sequence where she's trying to pick it up. And, uh, these other, I don't know, mafioso kind of guys are running Campbell, they're, they're picking up the street too. And they're getting closer and closer. And at what point in time are they just going to go after her? It's really cool. You get the red balloon sequence and the final confrontation, um, within the fields, I, th- I think is beautiful. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll talk about my favorite sequence in more detail, but when I, when I first saw this, I think I had the same reaction that you did, which was, I kind of went in thinking I was going to watch this modern day mar- martial arts film, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not sure what I got.
0: Yeah, and that's not to say like the choreography or anything is bad. It's definitely different. It's yeah. judo, which is different. So have
2: have you have you studied judo? I am not. No. Okay. So I did teach it for a while. Um, I got I got to the point where I I was teaching. I, I've done uh, Chenquan, judo, kendo. Um, uh, Kempo Karate. Uh, judo is my favorite out of, out of everything I did. Even, uh, China, which is, you know, Chinese jujitsu, I guess. Uh, yeah. Uh, do, do you know what judo stands for?
0: Isn't it? No, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say what I think <laughs> it is. Cause that could be completely wrong. I do sound like an idiot. So please explain it to me. Okay. So any,
2: anytime you hear "do," that means way. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, judo literally is gentle way. Okay, the judo gentle way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you've heard about Bruce Lee wanting to bring the beauty of martial arts to the West through film. You've seen films that try and tackle, uh, I, I would say, the philosophy of martial arts. And I think most movies come close. Throwdown, I, I can't think of a film outside of Throwdown that actually is a pure martial arts film. And by pure, I mean it takes its subject matter and tries to break it down on a philosophical level and tell a parable about the martial art. So when you, when you go study judo, so when somebody would come to me, and oh, let, me, let me do it this way. When I first learned judo, the first thing they teach you is ukemis. Ukemis are just it's like how you fall, right? So you got to learn this before anything. So I was practicing ukemis for a couple of months. I wasn't doing throws or anything.
0: And we um, see the characters do ukemis, right?
2: Yeah, ukemis, you got front, um, side. It it's basically taking your body when it hits the ground and in such a way dispersing the energy. So the best way I could explain it is if you've ever seen a water bottle hit the floor with a bunch of water in it 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 makes a sound right and it's like a thud when all of that water is compact in there but if you take a water bottle and you take um, half of the water out and when it hits it it kind of falls flat right it's mm-hmm. not bouncing so yukinis is trying to take the energy of where you're hitting and your breathing technique and it's trying to dispense it. So you're exhaling, you're hitting the ground, you're slapping. So, you know, you're it's a combination of all of that stuff. So the very first principle of Yukemies uh, or judo is Yukemis, which is learning to fall. That that's principle one. The other thing they teach you is that the concept about judo is you need a partner to practice. So this this isn't a martial art that you can learn on your own. It's not like pick up a book, read it, do a couple of katas or, you know, whatever you're doing. In order to be successful at judo, you have to have a partner. Without a partner, you can't practice judo effectively.
0: Okay, I see where you're going with this. Keep <laughs> so, going. Okay. Um, Things are starting to Yeah, okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. These are the two basic print. So you have to understand those two principles. And and by partner, I mean, you got to leave your ego at the door, all that other stuff, right? You have to understand those two basic principles even before you learn your first throw. They're not going to teach you your first throw until they know you can take a fall, right? And, and I'm telling you right now, I've had my shoulder dislocated twice. It is the most painful thing ever. And I've done I've done kickboxing. I've actually done amateur kickboxing. I haven't had my nose broke, etc. The most pain I've ever been in is from um judo, like a, a randori match. Randori is just like freestyle, you go at it, right? So um that gentle way, it is not there in the beginning. Judo is one of like the most painful month, like the first few months were the most painful months I can remember. So black and black and blue all over. It, it is. I was so sore. Um, one it's one of the tough, toughest martial arts I learned um, simply because you had to wrap your, hand, your head around like so many concepts and condition your body before you could apply the gentle way. So just like jujitsu, you know, the, the art of the small circle, judo is kind of the same way. There's actually strikes in judo. I don't think a lot of people understand that as well. But this whole concept of the gentle way starts – with going through the falls, understanding the concept of the partner. And, and you, you've got, you've got to understand that foundation before you learn the gentleness of the art, right? Yep. So to me, Throwdown has always three
0: main characters in this movie.
2: You have three main characters that are falling down over and over and over again. Um, And I I feel like this film is is a visual poetry encompassing the foundation of that martial art right out of the gate. Uh Um, You have to learn to fall. You need a partner to succeed. That's all there, right? And you need time before the art makes any sense. And you have to go through those things. And this is one of those rare films that I think does a great job of contextualizing the philosophy of a martial art. And on top of that, the philosophical poetry is as funny and unpredictable. It, it's just this funny, unpredictable story of three people trying to find their way in this world surrounded by very unique personalities.
0: Yeah, but you could also argue like Aaron's character is fallen, yeah. right? He's, he's fallen from who he was. Uh, Tony is always looking for a partner. And uh, Mona is more of the gentle female singer- Trying to find her way, sort of deal. So even then you have those parallels. It
2: it is. I, I and think. And once you
0: started saying that, I was like, oh, the three main characters. <laughs> yeah, they're oh, okay. They're, here they're all go. coming together. And, and they all
2: they all have to understand this concept because even Mona is going through these things with in her life where mm-hmm. she just can't. Um she it's it's almost failure. It's, you see Mona in the very first sequence of her being thrown out of her apartment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, and then their relationship with her father as well. Yeah. And Aaron Kwok, I mean, he's, he's this competitive fighter who's going out looking to just fight everybody. I mean, he fights the saxophone player, he's fighting the bouncer and he's, he eventually learns to fall by going up against, um, Lee Kong. And uh, he's even trying to learn master like a judo move with one arm, and is practicing over and over again. But he doesn't know if it's successful, and he actually can't execute it without um, Bo in in his help. Uh-huh. So what what you see within this film, I think I think it comes down. Here's my favorite scene of the film, just hands down. You've already mentioned it, but it's it starts a little bit earlier. Okay, so there's these four conversations. Going on at once involving our three characters, so they come well, off stage. They're at
0: the table at the karaoke bar. They're, the they're at the
2: karaoke bar, right? So Bo, it's two people want or two tables want to talk to Bo. Uh, Mona's manager is there, and so they're all sitting at this table and they're all having these conversations. And so there's this amazing editing sequence. I think this is where you get David Richardson's talent in in full form here, and and it's keeping up with each of the conversations. And they are constantly interrupted. Like there's this pause every time Mona accuses her manager of turning her into a prostitute. Everybody stops to look over because they want to know what's going on on this table. And then this sequence turns into this comedic sequence involving Mona and Bo trying to hide out in a bathroom stall. And so you you go through that, right? They're, they're trying to hide from everybody that's at these tables. That eventually leads to a huge bar fight. someone
0: coming in to pee in the bathroom <laughs>
2: yes and then that eventually leads to the huge bar fight mm-hmm. that you were talking about and here everybody knows judo and they're throwing each other around but Bo is crawling on the floor he's trying to get out of it all right the chaos um and while this is going on jing so he's the guy that isn't all there he's Cheng's uh son he's up on stage and he's singing a song and i think it's the song from akira kurosawa's first film It is. Okay. And Lee Kong all of a sudden is there, and he's sitting at a table just having a drink, watching all of this chaos and patiently observing. And he's watching Bo crawl away from it all. And then all of a sudden, the fight spills out to the streets. And then after Lee Kong just kind of tells Bo, hey, I've been waiting for us to finish our match, but I can see that you're actually not worthy of it at this point in your current condition. He gets up to leave and then goes out and takes out everybody in the street. Just wipes them all out, right? So every time I see this section of film, I'm just automatically reassured Johnny Toe is one of the best storytellers out there. There's like so much happening within the sequence. You get amazing character development from each interaction, and you're constantly surprised where the story's taking. Like you have no idea where this is going in this sequence. And it well, doesn't. there's
0: also like a there's also we go to like an arcade. And they're yeah. just playing like arcade games. And you see like all these candy cabinets, which I think those candy cabinets look amazing. Um, <laughs> and then they just start playing like samurai showdown or so. I forget yeah. it's some SNK game, but you know, some game and, and it's just like, this is awesome. I, I love this. Yeah. You you get these side characters. I mean, and that's so
2: boss Savage has this uh-huh. quirk where he's always competing. <laughs> uh, he's always competing against little kids in air hockey. He, as soon as he sees somebody playing like a fighting game, he wants to go over, and challenge them on virtual fighter five or whatever it is. So you've got all these little character quirks and developments to tell you so much what's going on, and it all comes back to Bo. So Bo is the central character, and it's all these people kind of coming to him. But I'm I'm telling you, like Johnny Toe is an amazing filmmaker. I think he's so. I, Quentin Tarantino. This has kind of come up in a couple of articles. Quentin Tarantino has always said that he talks about things in terms of movies and films, right? So movies are, I think your blockbusters is how he refers to it. Mm -hmm. So he says like Jaws is the greatest movie ever made, but he makes a distinction between that versus films. And to me, Johnny toe is one of the few directors that can have feet just firmly in both of those between movie making and filmmaking. And he's really good at both and he can bring those two together. And throw down to me, I, I I think he's gone on record to say this is like one of his most personable or personal and favorite films. Mm-hmm. But I can see that because it really is him trying to dissect judo through a a central character. And this becomes very much like a Zen parable more than anything. But it's a really interesting, exciting, visually stimulating film. And it's one of those that you can watch over and over again and talk about it with somebody about different scenes and and what it means. And, um, I think you get a lot out of it. I mean, how many movies can you think of that you watch two or three times and you always pick something new out of it?
0: Yeah. And, and, and scenes just immediately stick with you. And like I've thought about that karaoke bar scene, bar fight, I think like every day, you know, and and we've, I watched it and we've kind of delayed recording for a few days, but I've thought about that every day. I'm like, that scene is so good when they're running away with that money. That scene is so good. There's scene after scene in this movie that are, are really, really masterfully done. Uh, the balloon scene where they're, where, you know, they're all teaming up to get the balloon, but I, I'm like, does a, and, and this is over yeah. and, and yeah. I'm, I i do not want to sound, like I'm demeaning this movie, but it's like, does a bunch of great scenes add up to a great movie? And I'm still kind of wondering on that on my, on my personal side. It's just, it's very different. I, I think avant-garde is kind of a, a pretty appropriate term for this movie. Cause it's just, it's not a normal movie. I, I and I, I, We were talking about the Rotten Tomatoes score. Like, yeah, critically, they're going to love this movie, right? Because it's got everything they want. 70% audience when you said, oh, I thought it was going to be less. I'm like, you know what? Actually, you're probably right. Like, I I would expect this thing to be like 50-50 because it's it's just different. And it's not what you expect. Initially, my first time I saw this, I was like, oh, Tony's our main character. They're like, well, no, Tony's not the main character. It's Bo is the main character. So then you shift. Um, and, and I should have known because Bo is in the film way earlier than Tony. Um, but anyway, it's just, there's just a lot of things that go against your, your common wisdom of how a story should be told. Um, and again, you have characters that just kind of come and go and they have great moments. Um, but you know, there's really like this, uh, what is is uh, savage, It's like, okay, he's in this film. Is he the big bad? No, but there's not really like, there's not a, there's not a bad. This is so, I
2: I think it's interesting how you say it. And again, this is my take on it. I don't think you can go into this film. Like what makes this interesting is when you look at this film and you go, is this a story about Bo? Is it a story about Tony, Mona, any of them? Those are the three main characters but the story starts in a field with Chang practicing judo and his son, Jing is singing a song,
0: Mm
2: -hmm. uh, from Akira Kurosawa's film. And it ends in the field, uh, with, and for full, full disclosure, we talk spoilers, right? So here's spoilers. If, if you, if you don't want to see where this film goes, um, or you don't want to hear us describe where it goes and you actually want to experience, stop it, go watch the film. But when you get to the end of the film, you get to the final confrontation, there's something that's happened to Bo, significant to him. And it's actually been the motivator of his actions for the entire film. And you're back in that field. And he has spent up to this point going through and having resolution with all of the characters, right? And he gets to that final character, and it's the final resolution point. So where this film starts and where it ends, it doesn't start with Bo, but it ends with Bo. If you go into this film kind of going, who am I supposed to follow? Who is the main antagonist? Who's the protagonist? There is a film here, and there's a good story here. But I think for me, it makes more sense to go, the the central character or the central thing you're following is judo. It's it's judo. It's the gentle way. It's it's watching people go through that because every character, be it a main character or a side character, end up learning the art of judo. That's what this movie's about. That's why there's no antagonist. Bo is your main character, and you spend most time with him and Mona. Um, and Tony, but if you think of boss savage, if you think of the karaoke owner, um, if you think of, uh, Tony Lung's character, uh, Lee Kong, if, if you think about all of the characters in this film from where it starts from a story perspective versus where it ends, everybody learns judo. They learn the basic fundamentals to the point that they can take on this martial art. That's what this film's about. Yeah. That's why I find it so fascinating. It's not a film about people. It's a film about a martial art.
0: Yeah. And that might be, be just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Cause, and that's going to turn off people. Cause it, I, I watch a lot of movies and expect twists and turns and in an okay with, uh, atypical storytelling. And this one kind of got me at the beginning where I had to watch it again to, to fully really appreciate, uh, the way this movie was going. Um, yeah, I, th- I think
2: I think you can appreciate it on a movie level from a story perspective. but I think it's one of those rare films. and this is what Johnny to is really good at. I, I think I think this is one of his best films he's ever made because he try he really does transcend that art of storytelling and get into something that is much more meta in terms of, hey, let's let's talk about martial arts. Let's talk about this specific martial art let's talk about um, time and energy spent in life. And he's, he's really giving you a Zen parable more. So the, con- when, if, if you read Zen parables, if you practice Zen philosophy, it, it's always the message and um, the learnings within that parable more so than what's going on in the story. That that's what you're finding out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This, this I a movie is one big you. Zen parable. Yeah. <laughs> I have, a, I have a, uh, a question for you, Troy. And I always wondered this. Have you ever kicked someone so hard that their shoe came off? Because <laughs> um, that happens in this movie. And I was like, I don't know if I'm messing with anyone who can kick someone so hard that the guy's shoe comes off.
2: I have. I got kicked so hard in the ring. I slid back and yeah. it took my breath out. And if I were wearing shoes, I probably wouldn't be wearing shoes. Okay. So I I have taken a, a kick so hard that I, I I felt like it was in a traffic accident. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, spoiler: I, do, I, do I didn't him. win that match. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I never went say, down. Never went down, but I certainly did not win that match.
0: I I do say I I do love the reoccurring joke with the with the bouncer and him betting that he could you know take him down with one move. Yeah, I do like that. Uh, there are moments in this movie like that too, where there's just little things like that, where they just kind of keep coming back to it. Um, yeah, man, this movie is uh really complex and it's got a lot to, to offer up. And I think if you're looking for a challenge, yes. I think this movie is, is a challenge, but I think it's worth that challenge. I,
2: I agree with you. Uh, I, I kind of made the mistake of going into this. Maybe the first time I ever watched it thinking, Hey, I'm going to watch this really good action film from Johnny toe uh, with, with comedy, you know, cause I'm expecting something kind of like the mission. Um, and yeah, it has action sequences, right. And they're really good and has some really funny parts in it, in my opinion. But this, this, I can't say it enough. This is, uh, I don't know, a visual Zen parable. It's a story that was designed to make you think about the world and really discover the rhythm of life. I mean, even in practicing martial arts or, or when I would re- do these randories or uh, sparring or whatever you want to call it. It never, I would always lose if I couldn't find the rhythm of either yep. myself or who I was going against.
0: Yeah. I mean, that happens in boxing too, right? Like you just, you don't have a good rhythm with someone and you're not able to feel it out and you're just off.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's crazy because I feel like you're watching people, not even just your three central characters, but everybody in this film They're out of rhythm, and things happen unexpected. Things just happen in this film. What's so great about this film is they happen organically. They're surprising. Nothing ever feels out of place, in my opinion. And you feel like you're just watching a slice-of-life film, but you're watching a bunch of people out of rhythm that slowly go into rhythm and start figuring things out. And I, I think that trans, this is why you watch films and you, you watch films to be entertained, et cetera, but not, I don't know how to say this. You watch movies to be entertained. You watch films to kind of glimpse some type of truth within the human condition.
0: And yeah. I, yeah. I mean, there's different level, right? Like the, the film versus movie comparison. Yeah. This one is a film. It's a challenging film. It's worth your 95 minutes for sure.
2: And it, it's an amazing tribute to Akira Kurosawa. I, I honestly haven't seen a filmmaker come close to matching Kurosawa, at, at least intentionally. And I think he does that very well in here.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, you you bring out the name Kurosawa, you better you better bring it.
2: Yeah. I, I'm so, I, I, I don't know. I'm so excited Criterion picked it up. I mean, of all the Johnny Toe films out there, I would have loved to see a Criterion release of the mission. And and the mission is fantastic, but it makes more sense if you were going to go through, I don't know, Johnny Toe's filmography at a Criterion edition level and start with Throwdown.
0: Well, yeah, because Criterion loves Kurosawa. So. It,
2: it is, but I, I mean, I would love for them to go and do running on, Johnny Toe's interesting. Johnny Toe films like Running on Karma, stuff like that, you can be really entertained out of all of them, but if you take a step back and go, Hey, what is he saying? Uh, what, what is he, what questions is he asking the viewer? There's a lot of stuff in his filmography that really feel like a lesson on philosophy.
0: Yeah. I, I, his, a lot of his movies are very complex. Now, some of them aren't as complex as others, but they're, they're, there's a challenge to a lot of them. And you know, if you're in the mood to be challenged, like a lot of times that stuff really, really pays off at the end. It, you feel way more accomplished after you watch something that really made you think or challenged the way you thought about things or the way you thought films could be made, as opposed to something else that was just for entertainment. Now they both have their their positives and negatives, but you know, when 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 you're looking for a film to challenge you, Johnny Toe is definitely a director you should go and seek out.
2: I agree. 1000%. Okay. So, uh, my question for you, you got any other thoughts on this one or any other things you want to talk about? I don't. Okay. So we just got done, to, uh, I don't know, waxing some philosophy of our own <laughs> on this one. A 2004's throwdown Brad, is it a bomb?
0: Oh, absolutely not. I, I, I don't, I still have a lot of thoughts about this movie that are, that I, I need to keep thinking about and, and, formulating, but I definitely know when I see a film that is made like this, that it's definitely something that should be sought out and should be experienced by more people. So definitely not a bomb.
2: Okay. I I agree. I'm so glad you, you really like this film. So I'm, I'm with you. It's not a bomb. I just, I'm begging everybody for all of you who take advantage of these criterion sales, it'll be around Christmas time. What black Friday around there. Uh, Barnes and Nobles will have another 50% off. Amazon will have 50% off. Go pick up Throwdown. I would say go buy it full price right now because I think it's that good. But I know we have a lot of movies coming out. So wait till the holidays, but pick this sucker up. It's so good. You won't regret it. Okay. 100% agree. Yep. All right. On to our next thing. So we both used this as a chance to go back and watch an Akira Kurosawa film. I, I told Correct. you, <laughs> I, uh, I I went out and bought that. Uh, I think Criterion has a set of like Akira Kurosawa's first four films, and they had uh, Sanshiro Sugata from 1943, plus Sanshira or Sanshiro Sugata Part Two, 1945. Uh-huh. Did you watch both of them or just one? Just the first one. Okay, so I'd never seen either of these, and I. I was like, man, if, if we're going to watch Throwdown, I want to watch these two films. So let, let's talk about the first one from 1943. So it's Akira Kurosawa's first directorial effort. Um, he also wrote the screenplay. I think he'd been working in the film industry a little bit at this point, And this was sort of his sh- first shot to direct and write. And he was like in his early 30s, like 32, something like that. Yeah, he was young. Yeah. So it's based on the novel by Tsuneo Tomita. And the version you see today, at least in the Criterion version, is an edited version. So 17 minutes of the film were eventually censored by the Japanese government. So you got to think about the time when this thing was released, right? So it was originally thought totally lost, meaning those 17 minutes, but most of it has been found in other countries through their film vaults. Now, not the full 17 minutes. I think they found about 13 minutes of the original film and you can find that footage as extras on DVDs, et cetera, through Japan, some other countries. The film was re-released in 1952 without these 17 minutes. And in fact, what they ended up doing was putting out title cards um, within the film itself to explain the plot points since they didn't have that footage. And that's the print that's on the criterion edition. And what's crazy is nobody in the West actually saw this film until 1974. So even when it was released in '52, it was only released in its home country. So first time watch for me. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I'd never seen this before, uh, and, and it's it's kind of it's kind of nice because I've seen all of the samurai pictures. I've, I've seen a lot of the the Kurosawa heavy hitters, but I never had gone back to look at his original work. So, what's your experience with this, Brad? Have you have you seen all of Kurosawa's films, or you got some blind spots in there too?
0: I don't. Um, Kurosawa is my second favorite director, behind Quentin Tarantino, um, and he is probably the director. If you were to, if I had to argue who's the greatest director of all time, I would say it's Akira Kurosawa.
2: Oh, okay, cool.
0: Uh, his body of work alone i mean just look at the different kinds of films he does i mean yes we go to seven samurai and Yojimbo and things like that but he's got so many more different films that um really kind of show just how talented of a director he was i think the further away we get from kurosawa and his death he's coming like less and less relevant to people now which really saddens me you think so I think so because I, I, I think people growing up like on Westerns and things like that, don't realize just how much the samurai film influenced the, the Western and we don't have Westerns anymore. We don't have samurai films really anymore. Um, we don't have filmmakers like Kurosawa. I mean, we don't have four hour movies anymore. Um, unless no, we do.
2: Like, They're called Marvel films.
0: Well, Marvel films. <laughs> yes. But um, I, I, I thought at one point in time, you know, because I was watching samurai films and, and stuff by Kurosawa is like, Oh, I, I know more about movies than other people because they're not doing this. Um, It was kind of my uh, very pretentious phase. Um, But you go through his filmography and you just see the kind of stuff that he was doing. Like, I, I think some of his post like world war, two stuff is some of my favorite films of his. Like uh, I live in fear is an amazing movie. And obviously you have films like, you know, Jimbo, like I said, but you know, just hidden fortress. I like, get, you know, we're we're in, you know, he, he went on and like tackled uh, Shakespeare like three times. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? No, no one does that. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I could talk about Kurosawa for, hours on end because i i think he was he was once in a generation and at some point in time i hope that we get back to seeing the same be a focal point in in storytelling because i think they're just so interesting um so yeah
2: when you watched sincero did you watch it before you watched throwdown or after throwdown
0: oh it was uh, actually it was probably before yeah
2: okay so you watched i didn't
0: I didn't watch throwdown until probably it wasn't it was probably five years ago maybe
2: oh uh no, I'm thinking like this week in, oh, in order oh
0: oh I'm sorry um no I watched Throwdown first okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
2: did so does it make sense that Shiro has so much influence in in throwdown?
0: When you say makes sense, like that is dedicated to, like, there, because again, I, I'm not sure. I see elements of the film, but I'm not sure. I because at first I thought it was like a straight up remake, and it's not. It's not like a it, It's not all.
2: a remake, but I, I guess a better question would be: So, Senso Sugata is really about a, a young man who comes through Senso Sugata who ends up becoming one one of the best judo fighters. And he, he goes through his own discovery and and starts the film as, you know, coming to town, wanting to learn jujitsu, yep. discovers judo, ends up bullying everybody with the art, and then gets thrown in a pond, uh, comes to an epiphany, and then ends up uh, representing judo. And I, I would say the only thing that comes close to maybe a direct replication is the final match in the field at the end really heavily influences the beginning and the end of throwdown. Yeah. But my question is this. So Johnny toe is out there making, you know, a film and he says, Hey, I'm heavily influenced by Kira Kurosawa. So it's dedicated to that. And he's making a film about judo. Does throwdown benefit from having imagery or even some themes from since or is it just one of those things where take it or leave it, it being in there really doesn't matter?
0: I think that I, I don't really think it matters, to be honest with you. I think both stand on their own quite well. I just I don't know. I don't maybe I missed it, but I don't see as much of this film and throwdown as maybe I should. Uh, Except for like those, yeah, the feel the the beginning and the end and and stuff. And obviously there's a a guy comes into town, stuff like that, but I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I see elements there, for sure, but I, I, I don't, I struggle connecting the dots fully.
2: I, the reason why I ask it is within Senshiro Sagata, like the the scene or the imagery that stands out, and and I feel like it is true, Kurosawa, is the shoe sequence. So he loses his shoe when he starts to take his master in the rickshaw more or less. And you're watching the shoe getting kicked around on the road. It's floating on the road it's left in the winter. There's this whole sequence with a shoe. That's kind of at the beginning of the film. And, and I'm wondering if, uh, if I, I don't know, Johnny toe looked at that and said, how do I create a film based around that shoe
0: sequence about the shoe? Yep. Okay. No, I, yeah, I
2: like replace yeah, because, the shoe with people.
0: Yeah. And,
2: yeah. and you get throwdown almost. Yeah.
0: Okay. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. Like something that shouldn't matter, but we're going to kind of morph it into well, tell me about that. Not tell me about that shoe, but what about that shoe?
2: A, a little bit. So I, yeah. I looked at it this way. So when I watched um, Sanchiro, the first one in part two, especially part two, part two is very much um, Ip Man 2. Like, if, if if I were to make a comparison from a movie, if, if you're watching a story and you go, hey- So you there's want-
0: bad boxing in it, is that what you're gonna tell me? No, 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 well,
2: but in <laughs> in, in, in Senshiro in Part 2, he has to defeat an American boxing champ and two karate masters. Mm-hmm. So Ip Man 2 is pretty much um, Senshiro Sogato Part 2 from 45. But, but even if you look at Ip Man 1, and Ip Man 2, and you were saying, okay, what are the films out there that are very close to it? I would say, okay, well, Ip Man is pretty much a clone of the Senshiro saga Mm -hmm. of those two films because from a storytelling perspective, it's about a person who becomes so good at their art that um, they go through and start competing against other martial artists. And there's a little bit of nationalism in each of those uh, series, right? So specifically in Ikir Kurosawa's, there's... I mean, the villain dresses like a Westerner in the first one. That's intentional. Um, There's a little bit of propaganda in it. But Ip Man 1 and 2 have more to do with Sanchiro 1 and 2. But Throwdown, to me, lives in that shoe sequence, in my opinion. That's what I got out of it.
0: Yeah. Sorry. I'm I'm just trying to think back. Yeah. Man, I... Again, I just struggle again because it's just like, I don't know. I, I, I <laughs> like obviously like, you know, the, the, where he's like standing in the cold water and stuff like that. It's like this, like the whole dedication thing showing that I'm not afraid to live or die. But that that's a different feel. Like, yeah, I,
2: I think Johnny Toe borrows some elements from that first film I mean, I can't tell you like, I, I think the thing that's the two sequences that stick out the most obviously is the shoe because I, I do think you're getting some Akira Kurosawa visual imagery that again, hate to use this, you know, overuse this term, but you get visual poetry and he's trying to say something with what's going on with that shoe and how it's being treated. And even the the elements that it goes through from a weather perspective, I think means something. When you get to that final match in the field with the storm, I, man, that's pretty freaking amazing. I think for, for 1940, not even for 1943, I think it's beautifully shot. It looks amazing in black and white. Uh, I I think it's pretty exciting in terms of a final climax, but I think, uh, Johnny toe in looking at that first film says, I want to pay homage to that, that final, um, sequence within the field. But what he's actually more concerned with was what was Akira Kurosawa trying to say with that shoe? And so I'm going to make Throwdown um, based on this philosophy around what's going on with the shoe. Because the, the rest of the film is really about a man who learns Judo and then learns the discipline of Judo. And so there's elements of that in Throwdown. But I, I when I saw that shoe thing after watching Throwdown, I'm like, this has to be, and again, this is just, I've never talked to Johnny toe. Just me guessing like Johnny toe watches this film and goes, yeah, I'm going to make a movie around that shoe. Yeah. And have I, I want it.
0: I want to know what, what is your opinion on Kurosawa? Where does he land for you? Oh, I love him. I, <laughs> it's one of
2: those things where I think everybody who discovers the seven samurai and looks at that runtime, and then sits down to watch it, and if you're not blown away, I think it would be very hard to just love film. Like, at at that point, I think you go, okay, you like movies, Mm -hmm. but you watch Akira Kurosawa stuff, and you you love film.
0: It's like a rite of passage. It it is,
2: and I I almost feel like when you say that he loses, I, I can't remember the term that you said, where he's losing influence or something as time goes by. At some point you kind of, you know, think about Shakespeare and go, well, how many new stories are there? There's not, yeah. it's just retelling of the same old stories. Right. And I almost feel like, well, how many new movies are there after Akira Kurosawa? Because at some point somebody's borrowing something from his filmography. And you talk about the Westerns. I mean, we have star Wars because of hidden fortress.
0: Yeah. And Macbeth.
2: And because, yes. yeah, I mean all of that stuff. Um, detective film you know akira kurosawa tackled that what was it high high and low or high low I love, Yep. yeah so i am amazed at how many i don't know stories that akira kurosawa tackled and even stuff like dreams just an amazing film he, he his movies are beautiful to watch
0: yeah like ran and katamusha like those films even later in life it kind of reinvent not reinvents himself but like does these beautiful films with color and and you're just like, this guy can do anything. And uh, yeah, you mentioned dreams. Dreams is a beautiful movie.
2: Yeah. And and I think I can see why Johnny toe is so attracted to that because Akira Kurosawa is very good about telling you what's going on within the scene, not by telling you via somebody's speaking the words from a script perspective, but using the elements, the weather, um, the scenery, uh, action. I mean, you get a lot of character development via action in an Akira Kurosawa film, and I think that's that's exactly what Johnny Toe is attracted to when he's kind of crafting his films, in both in screenplay and direction. I don't think Johnny Toe reaches the level of Akira no, Kurosawa, no, obviously. No,
0: let's not get crazy. Yeah, no, no,
2: no, but I do think Johnny Toe understands where his talent is going to take him and he pushes himself up to that limit. Yeah. And and you know, again, I think uh Throwdown, you know, I said it before, Throwdown is probably one of the few films that gets the closest to being in that Akira Kurosawa wheelhouse of filmmaking.
0: No, I would agree with that. Yep. I can see it.
2: Is do you think either of these films like Shinichiro Sugata part 1 or part 2 Should people seek him out at all?
0: I do. I do. I I, I think I definitely think, especially the first one, because it's 1943 and he's a young filmmaker at that time. And you could see the immense talent there. Um, Now I might go like, of course, like 50 is Rashomon, which really kind of brings him to the forefront. Um, and then in '54 is obviously Seven Samurai, and then you have Throne of Blood after that. But even in like the same year of, of Throne of Blood, you have The Lower Depths, which is all like a way different film than uh, Throne of Blood. Yeah. And then you have Hidden Fortress. Like I, I think to to really appreciate the film, I think it's always interesting to go back and see a filmmaker's first film and then see them laying the groundwork for what they will do next, um, and I definitely think it's interesting, especially the cut we get. It's only 80 minutes, 79 minutes. Um, so it, 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 it goes pretty quickly. Um, it's not my favorites, but I definitely think it's, it's definitely better than most of the films you will see, uh, hands down.
2: I, I, I agree with you. I really loved both of them. I actually probably enjoyed the second one more than the first one, uh, only because, uh, I don't know. It, it's a really good sequel. If we were talking sequels, I would say, okay, yeah, I I think this one is up there with like some of the best sequels out there of movies. And I wouldn't have expected that from a film in 1945. And you know, a little background, the, the first film was such a big hit. They wanted him to do the sequel. He wasn't really all for it, but mm-hmm. he really wanted to tell more of the story of the villain from the first film. So the villain in the second film becomes a little bit more complex, and it's really about the two brothers. Uh, and I think at this point, the Senshiro Sagata Part Two might have been his third movie, because I think he did one in between there. Yeah,
0: the most, the most, the most beautiful. I think is what's called.
2: Yeah, uh, but I. What's amazing is that second one. I think as has as much impact as the first film. And even where it goes towards the back half when you get to the big showdown between the karate masters, et cetera, and what happens after it, again, Kurosawa is doing something that I don't think you would see in traditional storytelling because the in, in this film, the movie doesn't end after the match. There's this whole sequence that happens afterwards that I just didn't expect, uh, and, it, and it's a really pleasant surprise. And it's it's one of those things that Criterion put out where I think they said, well, here's Kurosawa's like first four films on DVD. And again, if if you're looking at it from a sale perspective, fifty percent off, you can pick up like four movies for twenty bucks yeah. or twenty four dollars. Twenty bucks,
0: yeah, yep.
2: But don't yeah. don't sleep on these two films, and especially if you check out Throwdown and you go, man, I love Throwdown. I, I think you owe yourself a favor to go back and check these two out if you haven't seen them. Um, or if you love Ip Man, if you love Ip Man 1 and 2.
0: Yeah, when you brought up Ip Man 1 and 2, I was like, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're very similar.
2: Yeah, you have to go back and watch these films because I think <laughs> Ip Man is specifically borrowing the story beats from these two films for both of those movies.
0: Yeah, and if you're going back and watching Curacao, don't sleep on I Live in Fear. I Live in Fear, I think, is one of his most underrated films. It's about this guy who is basically terrified of another nuclear attack, and it's it's fantastic.
2: Yeah, there's some there's some good stuff out there. Yeah, outside I, I, of the, honestly,
0: like, I don't know if you were to ask me like, what's his worst film? I don't know. <laughs> It'd be hard to say. Yeah. I mean,
2: it's, it's traditional Japanese filmmaking. Uh, I, they're deliberately paced in such a, in such a way that it's a little bit different than how Westerners will come to tell their story, but I think it's unique. It's never boring. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I think he's always been an interesting filmmaker in that I need to go back and read books and I have not seen all of his films. I have a couple of blind spots out there, but I'm, I'm going to correct it because every time I come across something that's new, cause these two were new for me, it just reminds me like, man, I haven't seen a bad Akira Kurosawa film ever. I don't think one exists. I don't know. I would be curious if a listener would go, Hey, out of all of his films, this is the one that just doesn't pass the test. I'd, I'd be curious if anybody has one.
0: Maybe someone would say the idiot. Maybe I don't know.
2: Yeah, I don't. I, I haven't seen that, I so I don't know. Oh. Okay. Well, anything else on
0: those two? <laughs> hey, man, that Kurosawa guy—he pretty yeah. pretty all right. <laughs> I think he's going places. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> it's uh, a constant
0: reminder. Every time you go back and watch something, you're like, Jesus Christ, this guy was on a whole other level. Like yeah. He was doing stuff in like '54 that you look back now and you're like, it's 70 years old, and it's still amazing. It makes total amazing.
2: sense to me how he becomes one of the, I don't know, pinnacles of film studies and everything else where if, if you're talking about movie making, if you're talking about filmmaking, a care course, I was always going to be within that conversation and he's going to be somebody that you got to study because there are very few people that did it as well as he did.
0: Yeah. Especially for the time. Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah. Uh, you want to go through some listener feedback?
0: Sure, I'd love to. Do you have it?
2: I I do. (laughs) So we've got – what's funny is um, we have a lot of great relationships that we've done uh, over the couple of years of this podcast. And one of them in particular I just absolutely adore because when you talk about, I don't know, just getting into the depths of a film, and even if they don't agree with you, just a point-counterpoint, I mean, this person always brings their A-game to the table. And what's funny is when they write in, they pretty much write in a novel, but I can't <laughs> stop reading. I mean, it's so good. So I'm talking about Alonzo. He actually has a podcast with his son over at the Backlook Cinema Podcast. We've talked about it before, and Alonzo's been on the show before. Alonzo is um, is just amazing. I, I love his take on films, but he wrote in a couple of uh, emails about the Rocketeer. So I'm going to read one of them, okay? okay? because he and I had a great exchange going back and forth. <laughs> So this is from Alonzo. Uh, I always have the urge to write a letter to you after almost every episode. I have to talk myself down because I really don't have the time to type out a 12-page letter. And that series of superhero movies almost had me writing a series of essays. I'm only writing this one because I figured out how I can keep it concise to one particular point. I remember loving The Rocketeer when it came out, and I hadn't seen it in ages. So I wonder if I'd feel the same way about it if I watched it today. I feel like I'll get around to it soon. The main discussion of the show was why did it bomb because it was a really good movie and it did well in the aftermarket. I, too, don't know why it bombed. I didn't even realize that it bombed until your show. I don't think that this is the right question, though. The real question should be, why did Raiders of the Lost Ark succeed? As you noted in the show, the Rocketeer and Raiders were very similar films. They lived in the same neighborhood. They worked at the same factory. They were members of the same social club. Gosh, they were on the same bowling team. They were both period movies about the same period around World War II. They were filmed in a style reminiscent of the old movie serials, and they had similar tones. You, plural you, suggest that maybe the 40% of the audiences and critics that didn't like The Rocketeer simply didn't like the old timey style of this movie. Most of your theories seem to fall along this train of thought, but Raiders has this same style and feel. Again, why did Raiders succeed where The Rocketeer did not? My guess that it was the timing and the star power. Raiders was produced by George Lucas directed by Steven Spielberg and starring Harrison Ford. Who's not going to see that movie. Yeah.
0: They could have Harrison freaking Ford was Han Solo at that time.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yep. They could have put up that movie against almost any movie that might come out on any weekend and still be unstoppable. The Rocketeer should have been more selective with its release date. They sent an unknown actor to go up against Kevin Costner at the height of his glory. Plus Morgan Freeman, plus Christian Slater. You see the issue. I don't think that enough people saw it in the theaters because of the competition. Had the Rocketeer had a larger audience, I think that they would have had a much higher critical score. Who knows? This movie has probably been studied by film scholars for decades, a perfectly healthy specimen, fit as a fiddle, perished under mysterious circumstances. Sometimes it'd be like that. Keep up the good work. I look forward to future episodes. Zoe, host of the Backlook Cinema Podcast. He said, P.S. Thor, Love, and Thunder has a 78% audience score in Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's at lower. I think it's one of the lowest in the MCU um, he also thinks Moon Knight was a goddamn work of art. Oh god. <laughs> okay, Zo.
0: So <laughs> I love you, but that's a hot take.
2: Man. Yeah. Um, and he also recommended The Quick and the Dead for us to review. And just for everybody, if you like that film, go and listen to the Backlook Cinema because I think they just released an episode on it. So that's on my queue to watch or to listen to tomorrow. So uh I don't know, Brad. What do you think about that take? He and I went back and forth on that because my stint was when that film came out because it didn't have a nineties feel versus Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, it people were not at that time period in the in the early nineties ready or wanting anything like that. They wanted a Kevin Costner because I watched Robin Hood, it feels like a nineties film.
0: Yeah. I the the uh comparing it to Raiders is a little bit uh I don't want to say disingenuous, but it's not one in the same because you have steven spielberg who six years earlier directed one of the biggest films of all time you have han solo who was in star wars um so you have these star power names and joe johnson was off of what honey i shrunk the kids (laughs) uh your lead is i don't want to say nobody but not han solo you put harrison ford in the in the Rocketeer role, it's a much different movie.
2: <laughs> it, it is. And I th- I think Zoe's on to something. If you actually look at the pedigree of people behind the camera and in front of the camera, Raiders is going to be a huge success. I think that's the right question. However, if I think Raiders and Rocketeer, I agree with Zoe. They're all same bowling league, etc. Yeah. And and in the eighties, because my question to him was, well, did Raiders have any of the eighties qualities of movie making at that time period? I haven't seen it forever. I need to go back and watch it. I mean, I've seen it so many times it's
0: more seventies, really.
2: It's, it's weird. I I think it has that modern sensibility and I'd love to go back and watch it again, kind of dissect it. Whereas the rocketeers seem to have that 40 sensibility. Yeah. I, I would still contend that, um, Zoe's right with the right director and cast you can have that 40 sensibility and have a huge hit if everybody's attracted to the names on the billboard, right? But at the end of the day, I would kind of um, really like to look at, at Raiders and the Rocketeer and and have the question of, does Raiders have modern filmmaking sensibilities even though it's trying to have that 40 style? Because the last time I watched the Rocketeer, it and, and just going back and watching the King of the Rocket Men serials, the Rocketeer had way more in common with those serials than anything else.
0: Yeah. I must state the obvious Raiders is a much better film than the Rocketeer. It, it,
2: it is, but I, I would put the, as Rockets, much as I
0: love both. Raiders I is And I even said on the
2: league. podcast, I'd put Rocketeer up there with Raiders. Cause I, I think they're both amazing. I love yeah. them, but I, I have a really big soft spot for Rocketeer. I love that film. Love it. But I love Raiders too. So, what?
0: Also, Quick in the Dead, a good suggestion. I uh, think that is a very underrated western and a film that you don't typically associate with Sam Raimi. Um, he has those weird films like that. And simple plan for the the love of the game. Simple plan is amazing, but like yeah. love of the game is on there too. You're like Sam Raimi, a baseball movie. Kevin Costner, okay. Um,
2: no, we did. we need to talk Quick in the Dead. Definitely, yes, we do for sure. So, Brad, if anybody wants to reach out to us and share their thoughts on The Rocketeer, any of the films we talked about, um, heck, if they just discovered Throwdown because we talked about it, we'd love to hear your first-time impressions. How do they get a hold of us?
0: That's notabombpod at gmail.com. You can hit us up on our Facebook group, Twitter, and Instagram. We will get back to you there. Go um, oh, yo, our website, not a bomb podcast.com and hit the Contact Us button, and you can drop us. A suggestion or a comment there.
2: Awesome. Uh, next week, Troy. What are we doing next week? Your your pick, right?
0: It is my pick. The very first film that we had someone write in and suggest was "Death to Smoochie." <laughs> a, a a lovely listener named Nathan has uh, kept on suggesting this film for a um, hundred and eleven weeks or so, and so we are finally doing "Death to Smoochie." That's, um, gonna I have be fun. Never seen Death to Smoochie before. You've never seen it? I've never seen Death to Smoochie. I know that it stars uh, Ed Norton. Edward Norton and Robin Williams. I believe it's directed by Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. That's okay. right. Yeah, he's in it too, right? He He's in it. I think this is uh, also a John Stewart is in this movie too. So yeah, this is. I know this is it. interesting. Yeah, I think I s- I've seen some of it on HBO, but I know for a fact I've never sat down and watched it from start to finish.
2: Oh, I saw this in the theater. Uh, it, yeah, this will be an interesting conversation. It, it is a um, dark, dark comedy, dark, and it one hundred percent Um We'll we'll get into that all next week. So that, that is a great pick, Brad. I'm excited for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and Nathan. You can finally settle down. We're doing it,
2: <laughs> so you can pick another one to champion for the next yeah. couple hundred episodes. Uh, yeah, folks, listen. Thank you for all the feedback. Sorry, this episode is getting out a few days later. Like we said at the beginning of the show, life happens. Um, we're we're going to be back on a regular schedule. We just we're not like some of those other podcasts that have like four or five things that we can just release. Yeah, um, we have nothing in the hopper, man. We just we got to do it live. Uh if you like the show, do us a favor, leave us a review. I I believe that helps um share the show once uh we get good reviews and, and people stumble stumble across it. So wherever you can leave a review for the show, please do so. Um more importantly, just interact with us. We we love all the comments on social media. We love all of the uh I don't know, advice on what movies to talk about. The the email we got a couple of days ago um where somebody had recommended places of the, the Francis Ford Coppola film um what was it? Oh yeah. Yeah, I found it on I e- apparently it's out of print and I found it on eBay so when I went and picked it up the two disc special edition. So what I what I love more than anything is we get recommendations and especially if it's something I haven't seen and I read about it based on, you know, somebody sending an email uh or something from the the social media. I'm 100% excited about discovering something I, I haven't seen and, and especially come from a filmmaker that I thought, I don't know, I, I knew all about. So yeah, we'll we've definitely got some,
0: we got some real bangers coming here soon. Yeah. I got not saying that death of Smoothie is not one of them, but boy, we got some heavy hitters.
2: We do. I, I love the fact that a week ago we were talking Chuck Norris uh, films and now we're talking Johnny toe. We've, we've been all over the place this year. I'm kind of proud of ourselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've done a lot of different stuff. Um, uh, one more thing. Uh, if you do like our show, like you said, review, also share with people, tell them about it. Hey, say, Hey, check this out. Um, I know people have gone back and I see the, the downloads of earlier episodes. I'm like, okay, people are going back and and listening to the very beginning. Um, which is nice to see people wanting to see our origin story. So, um,
2: yeah, it's crazy. I found a couple other podcasts out there that were doing movie bombs. There were there were different titles that have popped up since we started. Oh, so I went back and listened to them, and, and they're really I, I don't know. They're fun. They're really good. They're talking about some of the same movies we talked about already, John Carter and and stuff like that. We um, need
0: to cease and assist. We have a lawyer, so we can. No, we're, no, we're no. good. Hey,
2: look the the more people can go out there, I'm all for it. Like yeah. do do all the podcasting you want. Talk about all these movies that we've talked about. I would love to hear everybody's take on everything we discussed. I, I love the fact that if you go back and look at the last 111 episodes, we have been all over the place. Our, our Hong Kong clause alone has allowed <laughs> us to talk about films that I don't think anybody else is talking about.
0: Hey, and it, we'll keep playing that card for as long as we keep doing this show. So
2: Absolutely. So uh, with that, I don't know. We got anything else? Is that it? Is that all the housekeeping?
0: Yeah. Walker told me I have eight. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs>
2: still I don't know if you're listening in the morning the afternoon or evening thanks for downloading the show please come back next week and hear us talk about this amazing amazing black dark comedy Death to Smoochie and uh, with that have an awesome day
0: don't lose your head